god, this is getting really dorky now. Like, <laughs> That's why we're here. So. <laughs> safe place. Welcome to the Euro What, episode 85 for the week of May 4th, 2020. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about Eurostream 2020 and Eurovision again with special guest Rob Holly. How's it going, Ben? Uh, it's it's pretty good. We've We've entered the part of quarantine where I have patterns again, and patterns are nice. Oh, I remember patterns. Those, th- yeah, th- those two well, sound nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, theoretically, like it takes twenty-one days to form a habit, and it's been at least twenty-one days of quarantine. So mm-hmm. now I just have terrible habits again. Yay! Uh, uh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like my my hair has entered a state I'm, I've called a depressed Ben Wyatt. Oh no! No. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 It's fine. It's fine. This this just happens naturally. Okay. Yeah. Scheduling wise, it's uh, it is kind of weird being in the like early part of May and not just being like glued to youtube for rehearsal footage or uh any of the typical early may programming that i've gotten used to over the last several years yeah and just started looking at the google calendar and be like oh right i was supposed to be taking a flight to copenhagen this week yeah yeah that that's a challenge but what we do have to look forward to this week is eurostream 2020 it's a fan-driven project uh, that we've been uh, taking part in and helping to promote where uh, it's recreating the Eurovision experience from the fan perspective. So yeah, we were fortunate enough to host the second semifinal allocation draw last week. Uh, yep, that was fun. That, that was, was fun. so much fun. <laughs> and yeah, it was nice to dust off my French from 10th grade and... Uh, yeah, uh, put it back in the box as soon as we were done recording. Uh, <laughs> bury that again for another 15 years. Uh, Switzerland, I apologize for misgendering you at one point. Oh, goodness. But yeah, that was so much fun. Uh, we we know the running order for both of the semifinals now. And the event's happening this week. Uh, semifinal one is actually happening today as this episode drops. Semifinal two will happen on Thursday and the grand final will happen on Saturday. And voting is already open uh, for the first semifinal, at least. Uh, so if you head over to Eurostream2020.com slash vote, you can pick your choices for the first semifinal. And the way that uh, the televote is working is very similar to Junior Eurovision, where uh, you can vote for at least three countries and up to five countries. And you don't have to be a part of a participating country in the first semifinal. Voting's open for everybody, uh, including countries that don't participate in Eurovision. So Ben, both you and I can vote as well. So Excellent. Yes. And uh, the results of the vote will be happening uh, Tuesday evening. Well, Tuesday afternoon, our time. Uh, The show starts at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern. And you can watch the live stream on Facebook on the Eurostream 2020 uh, Facebook page. And it uh, should be a fun show. Uh, Thursday show, uh, it's same format. Uh, Voting will be opening on Thursday at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern. uh, And runs through the whole day. You do not have to wake up at 6 a.m. to cast your votes for the second semifinal. Uh, And that show will also be at 3 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. And then on Saturday, the grand final with the uh, 20 songs that qualify from the semifinals, plus the six auto qualifiers, uh, that show will be starting at 3 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. So a lot of activity happening in this week, uh, which is Something to look forward to. Yes, and uh, if that is not enough excitement, great news next week is the Eurovision Song Celebration, which is the official deal. Uh, So in addition to doing Eurovision Europe Shine a Light on the 16th of May, on the 12th and 14th on the official Eurovision YouTube channel, they're going to be essentially doing semifinals, except that there's not a competitive element. So they're not really semifinals. Uh, But the exciting thing is that we will be getting... Uh, what the producer run orders would have been 
which is exciting to me as somebody who has sat down and tried to figure out, okay, how would I do this? Mm -hmm. How would I do this? Back in the days where we didn't know that this was not going to be happening this year, was trying to sit down and go, okay, but how would I do that? Yeah. Yeah. And like, really, it's kind of funny how satisfying it's going to be to have that running order. Like, I I did not realize how much I missed not having that part of the structure the last couple of months, even Mm -hmm. though, like, yeah, it... We don't need that structure because reasons. because we are celebrating yeah, so, the yeah. songs. They are not competing. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's still like an element that is like, oh, that that's that's going to be like, nice. Oh, this is yeah. I have closure. Yes, yes. That 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 is the exact way to describe it. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> just picturing my ghost walking the earth. I just needed to know what the Eurovision 2020 running order was going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of alt programming going on as well so ESC Extra has a great guide to all of the alt programming that's going on uh, the BBC has their thing but they're also going to be showing Europe Shine a Light uh, Finland is doing a bunch of replays Germany and Australia are including specials where they will perform their intended staging which I'm very excited to see what Montaigne had cooked up for that one mm-hmm. same uh, Mike I have an uncomfortable question for you yeah what other nation would you want to see their intended staging because I have one that immediately comes to mind oh um I really wanted to see Netherlands staging. I I, I think that one was going to be really interesting. Uh, oof. I'm sure there are others. Come back to me on that one. Wh- which one were you looking forward to? I was going to say, show us the Sunit performance, you cowards. Mm, yeah. Yeah, especially after her uh, Eurovision Home Concert performance, because that was yes. a lot of fun to watch. So. <laughs> yes. She she did like a, a Keith Urban during the one special and just had like multiples of herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm just like, I really want to know what they had in store for that performance. I don't know. I just wanted like some sort of weird quick change element to it just because of how that song travels. Yes. At least one costume change. I could see there being maybe two or three like it is yeah, well, like, now, well, so. <laughs> well no like i was like my my brain just immediately horked up uh just from from our favorite television program like america's got talent in the in the first season back when when america did have talent uh like one of the acts was like a a couple whose entire shtick is that they just did quick change magic oh yeah i think i saw and, like them. they got raked yeah. over the coals for doing like the same changes ah. but just like one of those but but also sunita <laughs> singing her song uh, yeah, that would be fun. I, I think North Macedonia, that was one that I was interested to see how it was going to be staged. Because I think that's a song that staging would have elevated it. If it's done in Vasil is yeah. going to be getting a complete chiropractic adjustment on mm. stage live. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. It could work. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we will have a link to uh, ESC Extras Guide uh, in our show notes uh, so you can see like what all of the other countries are doing because there is a lot of alternate programming that's happening here in the States uh, for like, you Netflix consumers. Uh, like alternate programming that's, that's not happening. Yeah. Anymore. So if you wanted to relive the Eurovision 2019 experience, you have until May 18th. Last year's contest uh, is scheduled to leave the platform on that day. I'm guessing because they assumed that Eurovision 2020 would be taking its place when that contract was signed. So uh, yeah, uh, if you want those performances want to watch those performances in uh non-vpn ways uh you might want to get on that uh and also the eurovision movie is being delayed or at at least it's not on the netflix schedule for may uh which Which they have so much content they're sitting on right now so like it does not surprise me that now that there is not the thing that they were going to Mm -hmm. show to give context to their movie they are no longer showing the movie right right or with the new streaming rules for the oscars in play this year due to everything that's happening i could see it being a late year entry oscar push not at all i Uh, no no (laughs) nope nope they are are not going to try and get demi lovato a best supporting actress Uh, although i mean on the other hand best original song yeah oh that didn't even occur to me and yeah i mean like I think this movie will have some sort of pull at the Golden Globes, depending on when it's uh, dropped, just because it's the Golden Globes. But it's the Golden Globes <laughs> and like they have they have like a history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so- and also like the, the Golden Globes, like my favorite fun fact about the Golden Globes is that it, we, we treat it like it's the same scale as the Oscars, but it's like 96 people voting, doing the mm. voting. That's why that's why they're wacky. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a thing, but it's not. Category so. <laughs> breakdowns. It's 96 easily bribable people. That's uh, 
all of well, actually, no, that's not all of the Eurovision programming that's happening in the coming weeks, uh, because for the last several weeks, uh, there's been a fun thing happening on Saturday afternoons, U.S. time, mainly on YouTube and Twitter. Uh, It's this event called Eurovision Again. Everybody logs onto YouTube at the same time and watches the same contest, more or less in synchronization, and tweets along with it. This has been going on for about five or six weeks now. Um, Mm -hmm. And... It has been truly delightful. It's been it's been amazing. It has brightened my weekends. Yes, yes. And uh, we were lucky enough to talk to uh, Rob Holly uh, from uh, UK's Independent, who uh, has organized the event and just started using the hashtag. And it has become a pretty major thing. Like he's um, yeah, it's been like an, it's like an officially EBU sanctioned thing. I have been a huge fan of the interviews that Rob has done with particularly Iceland's acts leading mm-hmm. up to the contest the last couple of years. Like he had a great interview with Dothi Frere. He had a really good interview with Atari last year. I was just kind of geeking out to talk with him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so we recorded this a little over a week ago. It was uh, right after we watched the uh, Finland 2007 Eurovision Song Contest. And yeah, we had this delightful conversation, uh, which we will play for you right now. Hi, Rob. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, no, it's good to be here. So I know that Mike and I have both been deeply enjoying Eurovision again. I found Finland super fun to go back to. Yeah, it was a good one. Well, I say that about all of them. Uh, It's really difficult to find a bad Eurovision and they all bring something new to it. So uh, it was great to to go to Helsinki over the weekend, even. Yeah, because like last year, as part of like our off-season stuff, we decided to dip into the archives and went to 1979. And that was just a different experience. Goodness, I haven't even watched that far back. It's weird what sort of traditions have kind of carried over, because I think that was one of the first contests, if not the first one, to have the postcards uh, before the performances. And Ah. yeah, and just kind of seeing like how that was interpreted the first time around. uh, It it involved a lot of mimes for some reason. (laughs) And uh, but then seeing like how Finland was doing their uh, postcards this time around. Uh, My my husband walked in about halfway through the show and saw one of the postcards and was like, oh, are these just random people and not the performers? Because he's only seen like the most recent contests. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, if those were the first postcards I'd ever seen, I'd be baffled by it as well. They were bonkers. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. do not understand what the uh, was it YLE with the broadcasters. I don't know what was going through their minds. I mean, they were they were okay. They were they were good in terms of what they they had to do. But like a Moomin playing chess with Santa. There was a guy um, trapped beneath a boat in the first postcard. It was just weird. So yeah, there was so like a weird. bookmobile romance. Yeah, just, yeah, with the knitting book. I, like what? I, 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 yeah, I just assumed that the theme was just life is chaos. Well, I assume the theme was heterosexual relationships because there, yeah. there was a lot of boys and girls, you know, doing a little romantic thing in that. And I thought, oh, this doesn't really chime with me. But, you know, that's it was Finland's contest. Finland get to do what they want. That, them's the rules. They, I don't make them up. Yeah. <laughs> so wh- what was the origin of Eurovision again? I'm finding out that there were quite a lot of rewatches and stuff mm-hmm. going on before this had started, um, as as I'm quite pertinently told by quite a lot of fans, um, which is fine. It's not a particularly original idea. I think over here in the UK, I don't know if you guys are familiar with something called Top of the Pops. I'm vaguely familiar I mean, with I, it, yeah. I, I am, oh, but okay. I'm, I'm the music nerd yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the first five minutes of Spice World, so yeah. <laughs> oh, there we go. Wow, I mean that's that's a great place to take all your uh, British cultural references from. Yep. <laughs> I totally recommend it. Um, but Top of the Pops is this uh, huge, huge cultural institution over here in Britain that's been going on since God, I think the sixties, certainly the seventies, and it would go out every single Thursday night on BBC One. Uh, tea time and uh, people would watch it and uh, it would affect how different singles did in the pop charts that week. Mm -hmm. So the BBC has this huge back catalogue going back years and years and years and years of Top of the Pops and what they've done in recent years, I say recent years, this has been going on for like 10-15 years now, is that they broadcast the old episodes chronologically since the very first ones on uh, this thing we have here called BBC4 Mm -hmm. and every, I think it's either Thursday or Friday night, they show a couple of episodes and whoever's in it that 
episode. So at the moment, I think we're up to 1989, usually trends on Twitter. So this Mm. week we had... Bizarrely enough, Alice Cooper was popping up, along with Sonia, coincidentally. Uh, so Sonia was the UK entry, I think, for 92 or 93 with Better the Devil You Know. Uh, she had a pop career before that, when we used to send actual bona fide pop stars uh, in the 80s. And she was on that episode of Top of the Pops. But every Friday night, uh, the hashtag TOTP and those individual artists trend on Twitter because people like to watch stuff in sync mm-hmm. and tweet about it so for me that was probably one of the biggest inspirations for it just that i get involved with things like that you know tweet alongs i think we all do and the idea of doing a eurovision one that just came through boredom and i found the original tweet uh, earlier today because i was trying to work out how it all came about and i just said oh does anybody fancy watching an old eurovision in in synchronization and that sort of snowballed from there i'm i'm also a huge Busybody, so I love um, <laughs> you know <laughs> putting together creative bits and pieces, or trying to make things work, trying to get people involved in different things, and um, so it, it's been a bit of a project for me to throw myself into whilst I'm locked in a room in South London, and uh, I, just the 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 heart and the love that goes into it, I hope is reflected um, throughout. Oh God, this is yeah. <laughs> just sounds so wanky now. But like, uh, you know, there's a lot of love for Eurovision, and there's a lot of love from the community for doing stuff like Eurovision again. And all of my friends know that I'm a big fan of the show, uh, and so they've all got involved. And it's just snowballed. I love it. I, I just, you know, it, it's been one of the the good things to come out of this lockdown. I totally agree with that. I mean, particularly looking at it from like the historical perspective, because I, I'm mm. just like you were like, just love tweeting along and live tweeting while watching something along with everybody else back, back in the days when Twitter was yeah. fun. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, like going back to these contests, uh, particularly the ones that were from before I started watching, I, I didn't start watching the contest until about 2010 and right. having that Twitter experience with people who like are bringing in like their nostalgia perspective and like historical context like that was that was one of the things that was most shocking to me about the finland uh show this past weekend where i've, I've seen the video from olitva dozens of times but not in the yeah. context of the contest and had no idea it was immediately followed by dancing lasha tumbai which is <laughs> such a gear shift <laughs> that was name a more iconic duo that was just incredible yeah and, and then the third song scooch i mm-hmm. mean you know <laughs> if you need like 10 minutes of eurovision to show someone in america of like this is why you watch like molitva into dancing lasha tumbai into scooch is is a pretty solid 10 minutes to to be like it, it's all of these things right absolutely but actually, it's funny because i was talking about um sonia earlier earlier and us not sending bona fide pop stars but actually scooch in the uk probably had the same trajectory as sonia they had a few top 10 hits i really like scooch i love that song and i, I like them as a band before that but uh you know it it, it was just glorious yeah. <laughs> i mean it, they were and also to go from uh, the 1997 competition where the uk was doing really really well mm-hmm. uh, with katrina in the waves to scooch who, who yeah. blessed them when those seven <laughs> points came in from ireland and then the, the dues part from malta <laughs> and i can't remember the name of the girl who was in scooch but she screamed with joy like yes those are the things that i love seeing in these old competitions that i either don't remember because they were donkeys years ago or i don't remember because i was too drunk at the time so it, it's really lovely to go back and see them as sort of like a historical mm-hmm. uh historical document of scooch yep. but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah well and like just thinking about the the 1997 competition it was so cool to see like a different tone because it felt so much more serious i think yeah yeah having, having mostly watched since like 2009 where it has been a very different vibe yeah i mean i think there there are certain times you can see where the uh the, the contest evolves either you can pinpoint it to a specific year or to a sort of era as it were and I think that was the last really how should I say sort of like you could tell it was pre-millennium um mm-hmm. because 1998 the Birmingham one after that they pretty much did away with the orchestras to the extent that people could use backing tracks um and they chose to a lot more the language rule that got relaxed um televoting was all over the place in in 1998 as opposed to the five that just chose to do it in uh, 1997 as a trial so 1997 for me is that sort of that last 
hurrah of the old competition and you know things have to change and evolve and I do think we have a better competition than we did back in 1997 but that 1997 competition really is a gold standard of the inverted commas old style Eurovision. So the EBU was able to help you out with getting the uh, 97 contest made available. How, how did the partnership with the EBU come about? I guess for those who have no idea who I am, I'm not just some random guy off of uh, <laughs> been invited to chat <laughs> yes. along. Um, I've been a Eurovision fan for a long, long time and I've been writing about it for a good uh, seven or eight years now, I think it is. And it's taken a long time for me to get to a position where I feel that I can talk about it with a bit of uh, confidence. I wouldn't call myself a mega fan because there are people that can pluck out stats and years and names and foreign sayings out of their head in, in a way that I just, you know, bow down to them. But I do consider myself to, to, to know quite a lot about the competition. I do write for it, uh, for The Independent about it on a yearly basis. So I do know uh, some of the names involved with the EBU, but not on a friendly level. I just, you know, know some people on the peripheral and, you know, I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, that that has helped a little bit in the fact that I'm a you know a a freelance journalist but essentially all that happened was the ebu guys have been watching eurovision again and enjoying it and saw how it sort of snowballed over the first couple of weeks and then i got an email i think it was the sunday after week two from a guy at the ebu i recognize the name and i thought oh god this is going to be they're going to say can you please stop doing this take the word eurovision out of the hashtag stop talking about it and it wasn't it was just a really nice email saying look um you know we we really like what you're doing we want to support the fan community particularly in this time whereby we don't have a contest and you know let's have a chat if there's anything we can do to to help and that help is essentially them saying there are some years that we can put online and you know if if we know in advance and you know in advance we can work with each other and um, make sure that we've got a high quality or high definition version of that show with the voting uh, no commentary because that was another problem Mm -hmm. I mean one of the first Mm -hmm. weeks when we watched Athens with this Norwegian commentary you know it makes it quite difficult and also funnily enough there are some full shows online but then you get 30 minutes in and suddenly the music cuts out where YouTube is uh, you know taking it out because of copyright issues Um. so uh, that was really a gift when the ebu got in touch to say you know let's do this and so i've chatted with them a couple of times and said well these are the the years that i want to do so there's always been a list and we're sort of working our way through that list to see whether or not we can get those years and uh, whether or not the specific broadcasters that own the rights are going to give a show a little bit of goodwill and get involved. Um, so that's been so, so helpful. And I think as well, they, they, they're probably quite pleased because, and I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine that they were going to put a lot of those years online anyway at some point. Mm. So for them to be able to say, right, let's put on 2007, it's never been there before. We can put it on in in high definition and to then get a load of attention as well on Twitter when when that's going up. I mean, like last night, you look at the the YouTube stats and it's already had 100,000 views. Oh, wow. So for them, it's a bit of a win-win, I would imagine. But also, I just think everyone wants to help each other. And the, the EBU, I mean, they do other things like sport and whatnot under the Eurovision banner, but... I would imagine most of the people working for the EBU have some kind of fondness for the Eurovision Song Contest. So it's not beyond everyone's wildest dreams that they just decide to help out with something like this because they love the show as much as we do. You know, we're we're all fans in this together. That's awesome. Totally. You mentioned that you had a list of shows that you want to have be part of this project. What, What sort of factors go into like which Eurovisions people should see. Ooh. How did you choose 1979 to go and watch that? Well, I think it was just partially because YouTube was like, hello, you've been watching a lot of old Eurovision stuff. Would you like to watch this? We have There's it. More. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was nice in that it was, it was 79 and 2019. So that was a nice like 40 years sort of a thing. Yeah, I mean, there's no, um, I wouldn't say I sat there. I, I, I don't want to be one of these people that is always uh, talking about this is the best competition. Nothing can surpass this, you know. Um, there, there are no, for me, specifics. Every contest has something that um, that is special about it. The 1997 one obviously had, you know, the trialling of televoting. I had, in my head, I do think either, wow, this was a really good competition, I want to go back and revisit it because I remember it as good, or if it's got a unique kind of quirk to it, 
like um, you know ditching the orchestra or the first time it's in color or you know the first time we get a, a Ukrainian win or something so I do think about it like that but there are also some competitions which I think are just really quite good and deserve to be seen in that high definition in a way that they haven't been before because I don't like with 1997 the great thing about that is I've got memories of it in my head I've seen fuzzy YouTube clips but I've not seen it in that quality before mm. so it's really great to see that detail the list that I put together goes oh god this is getting really dorky now like, <laughs> that's why we're here so <laughs> when I put together this initial list that, that I sent over to the EBU the, the way that I basically saw it happening was it had to have one that was from more recent times and then one that goes back to earlier in the the 21st century possibly back into the 90s maybe the 80s so it needs to keep ping-ponging because if you just see the three most recent ones you might get a bit bored so that sort of explains why we've gone back and forth but in that time now that the EBU are able to approach people like RTE that does have a little bit of an impact on when we can show things and, and the order of it but there's no I mean, there's no great bit. There are still, right. So I will level with you. There's two competitions that I still desperately, desperately want to see before this uh, lockdown hashtag Eurovision again ends. 2003, which I think is incredible. I've only seen it in kind of super fuzziness on YouTube. Mm. And I think there are bits missing, like like the voting and stuff. I don't think I watched that the first time around because I would have been a, a student. And again, I, I just would have been really, really drunk at a party somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, 1998, I want to see the Birmingham one because I remember watching that as a as a kid. And I remember Malta doing particularly well. That's one of my first Eurovision memories is Malta doing well in 1998 and obviously Dana International winning mm-hmm. it. I say it's one of my first memories. It's really hard as a Brit because, because we've grown up with it. You just, it, it's all over the place. It, or, you know, it's a there are cultural signifiers about Eurovision and Bucks Fizz and uh, Brotherhood of Man and all this nonsense and Sonia and Michael Ball. It's absolutely everywhere all the time. So you're never quite sure, or I'm not sure, when did I first start watching Eurovision? You just sort of know it's there. So 1998, to sort of clarify in my mind that I remember watching that one, I want to see that one in full high definition as, as soon as possible. So I think the EBU might be um, talking to, to the BBC at the moment, but we'll, we'll see. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess with with Twitter response that's been getting, because it's been, it feels like it's been growing week over week. So what's surprised you the most about the response to things so far? Oh, everything about it. I mean, I know Eurovision is popular, but the fact that it's uh, so over here, we have a Simon Cowell talent show called Britain's Got Talent. (sighs) And uh... (laughs) we we, we also have that here and similar sigh about it. Oh, God, didn't you have. You had Piers Morgan on your version, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, I'm so sorry for that. Yeah. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. Um, well, yeah, so we have Britain's Got Talent. And I think in it was either the first or the second week where it started to trend really, really big. And then it started overtaking Britain's Got Talent on a Saturday night. So goodness only knows what their social team think because, you know, they've got a Twitter emoji and everything. Um, so it's... <laughs> It's completely dominating on a Saturday night, which is really, really lovely. So the whole trending thing has been really eye-opening, but also just all of the the kind of nice personal stories where people are coming forward and saying, oh, this is really, really helping me get through the week because it's, you know, it's helping me get through the week as well. Mm. I live in quite a small flat and um, <laughs> we're, we're not allowed out very much and I'm working during the week from home, but there are no really obvious signifiers that it's a Thursday or it's a Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. to know that there's something coming up on the Saturday and you can engross yourself in that, it's a very social activity. You feel part of something bigger and connected. That is the really lovely thing that um, that I love about Twitter and Eurovision. Again, it's that connectedness and seeing how much love there is for the for the competition because I've got that love for the competition. I think we've all got that love for the competition. It's um, mm-hmm. it's it's lovely. Mm-hmm. I I have just sort of love that every week that Iceland has been involved, we've just sort of massively boosted their scores. As someone who was yeah. a massive fan of Atari <laughs> last year, massive fan of their entry this year. So Paul Oscar, who is a friend of a friend, um, of a friend of a friend, (laughs) said that he would help us and he'll do a little intro to it. And it's funny because that was the year before tally voting was prolific. There are only five five nations that were trialing the tally vote or the telephone vote, as the, um, the host said. And what was really lovely about that was that when all the scores came in, 
all of the fusty juries sort of gave him no points whatsoever. But out of the five nations that were doing it by televote, including, I think, the UK, uh, Sweden, and it may have been Norway, they voted for him. And I think had he been the next year when there were more televoters, or had he been in the 2000s, he would have done really, really well because that production of that song the way that he staged... I mean, no one else in that competition was staging stuff in the way that he was doing mm. and dictating the camera shots and doing this dance. Afterwards, I sent him the updated scoreboard where Iceland came fourth. So he rocketed up the table and he was just so lovely and, and touched by Aww. it. And I had a little cry. Aww. And like, <laughs> it's just so nice because, you know, I think as a growing up as a, a queer youth um, and seeing that kind of act on telly was really helpful for me as a teenager so to be able to give a little bit of justice out 20 odd years later is just such a lovely lovely thing sorry i'm rambling yeah. a bit no now. does that no, make this does answer your question <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah how how has your relationship with your vision changed in the course of this project i don't think it's changed at all i mm. think i mean look it's all come from the fact that we've all got this pent-up energy to, that, that we were going to all splurge out into Rotterdam in uh you know in May mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's just channeling that energy into to something else and keeping it going I think I mean where are you guys in America uh, I'm in Chicago yeah Chicago. and I, I'm in Boston I don't know if it's the same over there I would imagine it's not but like I live in London and we have lots of Eurovision parties and club nights I run a club night called Schlager Divas which <laughs> pops up every couple of months and stuff there's a lot for fans to do all, all year round like we're not starving for Eurovision content mm. and, and partying mm -hmm. and fun for, for me it hasn't really changed it's just kind of channeling all my energies into something that's that's online on Twitter and, and enjoying it in that way I mean has it changed for you guys I mean we definitely don't have like the year round yeah, like, Eurovision like the, the, exposure like it, it's it's pretty yeah, much just uh, between us <laughs> well, yeah yeah because like i have oh. i have so the, in in boston there is sort of a little kind of local makerspace for podcasts where they've done sort of monthly meetups right and like the first time i went to one like everybody's in a circle is talking about the show they do everybody's doing very serious uh journalist or sociology driven things i'm like hello uh, I host, I, I co-host a podcast about the Eurovision Song Contest, and someone goes, the Euro what? I'm like, yes, that's the name of the program. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Uh, we randomly ran into one of the other American podcasts about Eurovision at a trivia mm. thing in March. And that okay. was that was hilarious, that, that of all of the places uh, in the world to run into another Eurovision podcast, it, it was not in Rotterdam in May, it was in Chicago in March. <laughs> oh, Eurovision fans get everywhere, though. I oh, mean, yeah, like... I'm really, really sorry. I'm, I've never been to America. Are Boston and Chicago close to each other? Are they miles apart? Are they uh, like it was like a two and a half hour flight from from wow. Boston to Chicago. Yeah. So it's basically like London to Warsaw. It's a long. It's a long. Yeah, way. yeah that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you don't have any, uh, no one puts on any little Eurovision parties or anything. I know when my friend lived in New York, my drag queen friend called Sybil War, who, um, That's a great name. Oh, she's, she's really incredible. She lived in, um, in New York and she put on a, uh, would always put on a Eurovision viewing party. And I think she did a few parties as well, but I, look, I don't know what it's like in Boston or Chicago, whether there's a scene for that kind of thing where that that sort of uh, event could take place but a lot of the stuff that that happens in london is just because well like with eurovision again fans get bored so they're like right we're gonna we're gonna party we're gonna drink we're gonna do something and there's a lot of venues that will be like yeah sure come you do that just do your own thing and then they sort of boom because you know once you uh start playing eurovision music all the fans want want in on it as it gets closer to eurovision the last couple of years uh i've been like just checking Facebook events and uh, websites for gay bars and stuff. Just be like, do you have any sort of Eurovision programming just to like put yeah. together a list? And <laughs> just I, as like a thing for the website, really. Yeah. And even then, it's only been about a dozen things that I could find. And like ah. uh, a handful of them are in Chicago. There's, there's a large Swedish neighborhood about a mile and a half from where I live. So, uh, ah, okay. Yeah. So that that's probably overrepresenting things a little bit. But yeah. Well, it. I mean, it's funny you should say that. Back over here in, in London, we 
we have this place called Little Stockholm. I don't even know that it's referred to that anymore, basically, mm-hmm. but it's it's where all that the immigrant Swedes lived whenever it was, and it's sort of like you have a little Italy and a mm-hmm. Chinatown and whatnot. And there's a Swedish church in Marlebone over here. And the only way that you could watch Melody Festivalen in the early to mid noughties was um, going to this church or to the pub next to it called the, the Harcourt Arms and watching it via a dodgy Swedish satellite TV link. So a little community sort of, of uh, you'd go to the church and it was half Swedish people and half gays um, <laughs> but they do get together and you know and watch these old competitions and it's really lovely i still go to the church definitely for the the, the opener of melody festival and sometimes for the finale as well because um it's such a nice communal experience to do that but back in the day saying back in the day this is like 10 years ago that was the only way that you could watch melody festival and over here oh, but wow. obviously now with um svt play uh, everyone can watch it everywhere Mm -hmm. and that's been a really great thing of the last few years is that the quality i think of the eurovision competitors has has gone up because they're now more accountable all of the different countries because people abroad can stream the competitions like lithuania this year yes that was an incredible national selection that was fantastic like that like when we were would on the weekend have to like prioritize okay what who's watching what is like we were both watching pabandam is now live because it was the thing to watch what did you call it popular popular is now yeah right that's the first time i've heard it said out loud so <laughs> I, I had no I, I idea no how it's pronouncing it correctly because again <laughs> i just see it in writing and i'm hoping that uh my pronunciation is anywhere near what it's <laughs> i know the translation is here we go again yep. <laughs> so uh which is lovely um but that national final was amazing it was really really incredible i mean alligator was the one that i wanted to, yes to see yeah. one, but i think it was obvious that the Roop would have been really, really great at Eurovision. And it's a, a shame that, uh, that they're going to have to go again, as it yeah. were, you know. Yeah, over here in London, just things spring up. And I would say if you guys get anywhere that will give you a bar for a, you know, a Thursday or a Sunday night, just put on an event and take it from there because that's the best way of, um, of keeping the Eurovision stuff going. Obviously, you can't now because of lockdown, but, um, you know, yes. once, once, once they unlock the doors. <laughs> in the future, yeah. <laughs> when we have bars again. Uh, so who were you rooting for this year? Iceland. Beyond anything else, Iceland, I thought, were going to win it. Um, they were going to completely smash it. I don't I don't think I can recall any Eurovision act having huge amounts of PR behind them in, in February. Like, mm. that's crazy. But also just the song, the concept, the, his personality. I, like, I think Dathy Freya was onto something there that, is really really hard to manufacture and it was just sort of a perfect storm of things the song itself i love it it's it's like stuff that i'd listen to outside of the eurovision bubble and it, it's very retro but also it sits alongside stuff like dua Lipa, even though it's not a banger in in that sense of the word it's got this strange sort of 80s retroness that sounds crisp and modern mm-hmm. and has a story to tell I, I i loved it i mean what did you guys think so I watched the first week of Iceland's semifinal having gone to Airwaves last year and been like, oh man, like, yeah. how, is, how is like nothing I saw at Airwaves last year and really liked popping up here like I was hoping it yeah. would. And then week two happened and Dothi Fur opened the show. I was like, this, this needs to get to the final yeah. immediately. I think Song for Kepnen are onto something because, uh, so he was in it, what, three or four years ago. And yeah. I thought that was going to win, but they ended up sending, um, was it? That was paper. Sp- paper. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually on paper, pardon the pun, should, isn't a bad song. It's just not got, uh, it had no heart to it. And then afterwards they sent that terrible, um, yeah, then they sent Ari and was. yeah, that was it. I mean, he's a lovely guy. He was yeah. really lovely, but like the song was dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the uh, uh, and then Hatari, Hatari were amazing. So I went to Song for Captain last year, and I got to meet Hatari and hang out with them for a little bit. And because um, I, I was writing about them for the Independent, and they were just brilliant. They were so much fun. The amount of energy and creativity that they put into their entry, you know, was completely unsurpassed. Until again, Dathi Freya this year, and I think. The great thing that, that both Dathi and Hatari have done is they've made this national final a bit of a melting pot for ideas. So people now know that they can either put in a song that's like paper, is good on paper, um, they can, you know, uh, try and compete with that, or 
they can try and engineer an entire entry that has heart, that's got a story to it, that has memorable bits to it, that is an actual performance. And you can see that it doesn't take a lot to kind of inspire people and to get people up and voting for you. You just need to make sure that what you're doing works as a concept in that three minutes. So I think he definitely, definitely would have won. If not won, it would have come, you know, I'm not even going to say it would have come top three. It would have won. There's there's no, no doubt about it. It's just everyone absolutely, um, everyone that, that you know interacts with that song ends up loving it. But there were, I mean, other songs that I really liked. I liked Tears Getting Sober. Mm. I thought it was really good. I, I liked Little Big until the horrible video of their homophobia surfaced mm. on YouTube. And I was really looking forward actually to going to Rotterdam so I could grill them about it because uh, that, that sort of ruined that for me um what else oh cleopatra my god (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that there's this whole like i mean i'd heard cleopatra well i allegedly heard cleopatra around christmas time and you know how things leak Mm -hmm. and you hear demos and whatnot and it was kicking about with its sort of name attached to a couple of different countries and there's a rumor that it was supposed to go to san marino i heard that one and yes. i do yeah. wonder yeah like because that was yeah. I, that was like my notes for that song I was like i think san marino is supposed to have this one yeah i mean who is it who sings it is, is it offending yes it's a really good version but i think i preferred the demo that i heard so again there's all these what ifs like if san marino had had it would they have done a bit of a better job i don't know what else do i like i can tell you what i don't like Please do. I nearly got stuck in the Baltics because I went to watch UMK, which is the Finnish final. Mm-hmm. And so I was in the audience for, for that. And I, I don't understand why they didn't send Chichi Alina and why Eric Vickman didn't win there. Because when we were walking through uh, Helsinki the morning before, every single newspaper, every single magazine had her face on it. I think there's a lot to be said about having national judges on your jury who have quite a high points weighting because you you really should be sending something that's representative of what your country's population wants mm. and the thoughts of the the international com- community should be a bit of a steering but even so i say the thoughts of the international community we're talking about polly jennifer and, and laura off of her own yeah. um, who, uh, <laughs> you know as, as lovely as they are and I, I got i got to meet them backstage actually and they were really super lovely but as lovely as they are should they really be having input into what finland sends i don't know so they went with axel I, I just, I, I mean, it was such a, the, the the press release called it like a world weary song. It's like, he's 19 years old. Yeah. <laughs> if he's world weary at this, what what could he possibly be world weary? Anyway, so, um, so that, that Finnish song that they sent, I think really does test my patience. Mm. But you know what? They were the first country to turn around and say, yeah, no, we're not giving him a golden ticket. We're going to try again next year. So maybe we'll get Erika Vickman back. Um, and the other one that I really didn't like this year is the French one. I'm really sorry, but it's, uh, oh, God. Yeah, especially but, after I mean, the last was... two years of Destination Eurovision, which granted those were like middle of the table right, entries. Exactly. They were at least interesting to think about. But also it, we sent that song mm-hmm from the uk last Mm. year i don't how did they not (laughs) see this trap Um, so it's so weird isn't it so yeah top of my table iceland all the way i do like the russian one i love the bulgarian one um there's a couple of others i like i think it would have been a really good good year certainly a fascinating year yeah like this was such a strong field and Mm. uh unfortunate that we won't get to see them live but uh at, at least the, the community still seems really engaged with the music which is fantastic yeah with the exception of san remo and melfest because they are just they're beyond eurovision in mm-hmm. a way those uh, those guys are just going to do their own thing but all the countries that i think knew that they were onto a good thing are going to be sending those acts now and those acts have 12 months to prepare mm-hmm. something really spectacular for for may next year or for they might if even, they might have even longer because i'm not even sure that it's going to be may next year if it goes ahead i think that's really optimistic yeah i, I agree we're, we're pr- probably looking at the summer of next year if not um the autumn um but they've now got time time to prepare that which is really really great the, the acts that there are an, another kind of golden ticket selection of acts like destiny who Again, as I was saying about Axel, who 
you know, wrote a song about being world weary at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. Destiny's song as well. I'm really glad that she's not going with that yeah. because I think she's a winner. And however good she is vocally, if she's got a song that just doesn't really represent her and where she's at, I don't think it would necessarily do amazingly well. And she deserves a really world-class song. So I'm hoping she'll go away now, get a bit of life experience and again, come back a little bit more confident in who she is mm-hmm. with a much better song. Not that it's a bad song. I mean, look, I'm from the UK. We take that any day. Yeah. But, but it's not good for um, her. You just, like, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's expected to win, right? They, they want her to win. Mm-hmm. I think the community wants her to win. And she's got the vocal abilities to win. She just needs that good song. So I think it's going to be, you know, even though we don't get this year, I think it's going to be a really amazing one when it finally does go ahead. Agreed. So one other thing I wanted to talk about with regards to your vision again was like the charity aspect that's popped up in the last few weeks. Because I thought it's mm. been great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. Br- I mean, look, I've worked in. Um, so my day job, I work for the NHS over here. That's the uh, the National Health Service, and I've always worked in either good causes or charities or whatnot. I, uh, we've got charities over here called Prostate Cancer UK, Terence Higgins Trust, and the Teenage Cancer Trust. So I've worked in the the charity sector quite a lot, and I know how much they they need money at the moment. And so I decided i think week two or three to try and raise 500 quid and it just completely smashed it the the charity that we did it for is uh called mermaids so mermaids help young trans and non-binary kids and their families who are going through really difficult times not just because of the covid19 situation but in the uk we've got a real horrible problem with transphobia I, i i think it's it's completely beyond anything that you've got in america just in that our our press are quite openly transphobic um there's a lot of politicians who are openly transphobic it's really really horrible at the moment so i thought well anything we can do to raise a few hundred quid for them would be really good and it it raised three and a half grand which i guess is the equivalent to about seven dollars now now that brexit has completely screwed our currency um well, it's, it's a lot of money. And then after that, I thought, well, it would be nice to open it up to some more LGBT charities. So it's um, going forward, it's it's Mermaid to help uh, trans and non-binary youth. Uh, Terence Higgins Trust, I used to work there. They do a lot of work with HIV and sexual health. And Stonewall, who help um, LGBTQ plus people of all different shapes, sizes, ages. You know, they get involved with a lot of uh, lobbying government and making change happen. That's been a really fantastic thing and i think obviously even though the the eurovision community is a broad church there's a lot of people in it who aren't you know queer or you know aren't necessarily um, gonna benefit from these charities they've all really taken to it and they're chipping in all the time so i was, I was totting up the figures earlier and i think we've now just made ten thousand pounds which is so oh, good so, so awesome. good you know yeah that's, that's fantastic you know, yeah and those those guys really really deserve the money so um so if anyone listening wants to to donate to them, please do go to the website. Uh, you can find the fundraising link there. Uh, the website is again.vision. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and anything else that you would like to plug? I mean, I've got a podcast coming Ooh. up, funnily enough. <laughs> so I would have been in Rotterdam doing lots of interviews with different contestants. If anyone wants to hear, like read the stuff that I've written in the past, Google me, Rob Holly, Independent. Uh, there's, some, there's a really nice interview with Hatari last year that I'm really proud of but there's loads of bits and pieces I've done over the years and what I wanted to do is still do the interviews that I would have been doing with those contestants but to put them into a podcast form so there's a couple that are going to come up in the next few weeks I've already spoken to Dathi Freya uh, the Mamas who are just they're, they're angels like I can't I just I switched off of that Skype call beaming and chuckling to myself they are so so lovely and also victoria so there, there'll be those interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks the other thing that i think must be quite nice as well for americans is the fact that these contests that the ebu are putting up they're not restricted right so you can just click and watch yeah them. so far uh there haven't been any problems like the geo blocking didn't really kick in until 2016 so uh yeah if right. we could just keep all the contests before then that would be great <laughs> on our <laughs> <laughs> And is there a specific contest that you guys would like to see? Oh, I mean, 1998 definitely jumps out uh, just because I've I've only seen like the blurry video of uh, like, yeah. Dana International's winning performance. I think 1974, uh, the ABBA contest, not just not oh, just for ABBA, yeah. but there is so much going on at that contest and just being able to see the yeah. whole thing in context would be fascinating. 
yeah i'd love to see that one too ben i think just like the 98 one as we've all mentioned because i think of that one for a lot of reasons but yes we'll petition them we'll try our right. <laughs> <laughs> rob thank you so much for joining us this was yeah. yeah no worries it's it's been lovely and i love speaking to americans about eurovision it's like it, it's so nice because the fandom over here um i mean i've completed it i know them all yeah <laughs> um so to <laughs> so to move out of that actually it's not it's just to get a perspective from outside of the sort of weird uk bubble or the weird european mm. bubble it's so nice to see people getting into it more or uh, across the water and i don't know how it went with um well i imagine it didn't go very well with with logo and that but like <laughs> that i i suspect it's there'll, there'll be ways that the eurovision song contest is just going to get bigger and bigger in america in a way that um that, that it needs to because it's just so much fun and so easily accessible now it's like a, a bonus bit of entertainment that anyone can get involved with so um yeah and it's funnily enough, I was looking at the web statistics for the Again.Vision website. And after uh, Britain and Sweden, America was up there in third with with the number of visitors. Really? So it's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of Americans taking part. And I saw it was trending in America, like low down in mm. the trends. But given that, you know, it's not ever been a thing there, yeah. that's pretty special, I think. Yeah. So hopefully it will continue to to be yeah, a thing. It's the closest thing we have to sports right now. So... <laughs> so. <laughs> oh. Well, there's still Belarusian football, which people over here are streaming. True, so. true. You guys heard about that, right? Uh, I, I've seen references they, to it, uh, and that like they didn't really do any sort of social restriction or social distancing. Or yeah, they're absolutely crackers. I think up until last week, and I, I I say up until last week, I don't know if they've stopped it, but the Belarusian Premier League was still going wow. ahead. So all of the sports fans, all of the football fans over here, were just like picking random Belarusian teams and supporting them. Um, it's, yeah, it's insane. It's insane. So if you're looking for some sports entertainment, Belarus, they got loads of sports going Good on. Good to know. Uh- <laughs> that was so much fun. That was just week brightening. Yes, yes. So uh, thank you again, Rob, for uh, taking the time to speak with us on this. And yeah, uh, you can uh, find Eurovision again on Twitter uh, under the hashtag Eurovision again or at Eurovision again. And yeah, uh, we don't know what this week's show is going to be. Uh, It's always a mystery. We don't find out what year is going to be covered until 15 minutes before showtime. Since we chatted with him, uh, The Telegraph has been doing like a series of like lockdown award nominees and Hmm. he was nominated for Eurovision again. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, congratulations on that. And yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the EuroWhat. Thank you for listening. The EuroWhat podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. You can find us on our website at EuroWhat.com and on Twitter and Instagram at EuroWhat. You can subscribe to the EuroWhat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. When you subscribe, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing and help other Eurovision fans find us. We'll be back in two weeks to try to make sense of what's new in Eurovision.